from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Beginning in verse 39. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. He put on Saul's armor and was ready to go out. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And a sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came out and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and with spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I believe that every child of God wants to be used in the service of their Heavenly Father. I don't care how faithful or unfaithful you are as a child of God. I believe there is in you, put there by the Holy Spirit who indwells you, there is a desire to serve God. And you not only desire to be used of God, but I believe if you're really saved, you want to see other people saved. I believe God will put that in your heart also. But there's also this, I believe, a desire to lead someone else to Christ if you know Christ as Savior. You're saying, now, Brother Jim, I don't know about that. Oh, I do. I believe if the Holy Spirit, see, the Holy Spirit always works in concert with God and with the Word of God. And God's Word teaches us that we are to be witnesses. I got this text message just this week. I thought it was interesting. It said the Bible tells us to go into all the world. The Great Commission tells us to go into all the world. And we can't even get people to come to church. How are they going to go into all the world? But God's Word tells us to go into all the world. Jesus said that we are to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I believe if the Holy Spirit's indwelling you, He's going to work in concert with that. And He'll put in your heart a desire to see maybe it's a mate saved, maybe it's a child saved of your saved, maybe it's a friend saved, maybe it's somebody you work with saved, they need to know Jesus as Savior and the Holy Spirit will put that desire in your heart to be the one who leads them to Christ. That desire may be buried under years upon years of inactivity and years upon years of excuses, but I believe it is there if you know Christ as Savior. Over in 1 John, the second chapter, Beginning in verse 3, God's Word says this, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. One of the ways you can know that you're saved is you obey the Lord, right? Amen. 
he that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. Now I didn't say that, God said that through John, is a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby we know that we are in him. So again, if you're saved, there is in you a desire to serve God. This account this morning obviously deals with David and Goliath. That's an account from the Word of God that the whole world, I guess, at least all of this nation, is familiar with. I know that motivational speakers sometimes use this account from the Word of God, and they tell people, well, you need to be a David and slay your Goliaths, and try to encourage people that way. Well, that's not at all what this account is about. Amen. Never before in the history of this nation Never before has the Lord's churches and God's people in America been challenged the way we are being challenged today, folks. Amen. In the sitcoms, in dramas, in movies, in the so-called music of the day, the immorality and the unrighteous living of the ungodly world is just thrown right out there in front of us. If you turn on a television or pick up a magazine, they're parading it right down Main Street. They're saying we're not ashamed. This is the way we are going to live. In the movies and on TV, you see men and women both who just seem to want to spend the night with whatever partner they can find. There's no commitment. In the music, so-called, women are devalued, debased. In some of it, they're even referred to as prostitutes and female dogs. Just listen to what your children or your grandchildren are listening to. You would be shocked at what they are hearing. Even some so-called gospel music, I don't know what they call it today, Christian music, gospel music, is not Christian at all. We're seeing churches, God-called pastors, believers attacked in social media. We're seeing them attacked on the news. Folks, we're being challenged. And just like Isaiah said, evil is being called good and good is being called evil. I think it's a time that God's people stand up to that sort of thing. The world's saying we have a code of righteousness of our own and it's not the righteousness of the Bible. You know, I think I mentioned this last week. Maybe it was in some teaching. I don't recall. But we're living today in what is called post-Christian America. What they're saying is Christianity is on the way out and all of the things that we see happening today, the progressiveness, really that's a good way of, nice way of saying the anti-God crowd is moving its way in. And the world wants to come up against our God. So let me ask you this. Are you ready to do the impossible for God when the world brings it on? You say, well, I didn't sign up for that. Oh, when you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you didn't enter into a Sunday school picnic, folks. You entered into a battle. You signed up. You know, the little children sing about being in the Lord's army. Well, guess what? We're in the Lord's army. We may not march with the infantry and ride with the cavalry and flower the enemy, but we are in the Lord's army. With the exception of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us more about David than anybody else in the Bible. And it gives us quite a deal of information about this event. The Philistines and the Israelites are in the Valley of Elah. 
The Philistines had their champion and we know that his name was Goliath. He stood over nine feet tall and Goliath was a fierce warrior. His presence was so intimidating that all of these trained warriors of Israelites were just cowering. The Bible says they were literally fleeing from this giant and from the Philistine army. And sometimes I think that's the way we feel when we have to face the world. I'd rather turn around and run. I'd rather back up. Dad used to call it taking backwater. I'd rather take backwater than to face the world. No, we're encouraged in the word of God to stand boldly for God in this world today. For Israel, here's what they had. They had a young shepherd, a young man named David. We're familiar with David. But he was willing to go up against almost impossible odds, against this almost 10-foot giant, and fight him because he had the armies of God terrified and because he had defied God. The Philistines had their God. We know his name was Dagon. We can read about him in the Old Testament. The Philistines had their God. But David said, he's not God. He said, here's God, and it is the God that we worship. And he says, I am coming to you in the name of the true and living God. And that's the way we need to go out from here. When we leave this morning, you will notice above every exit, not that door because we don't normally exit that door, but above every exit, there's a sign that says you're now entering the mission field. And when we go out into the mission field, we need to go out in the name of the true and the almighty God. And so David is saying to the Philistines and he's saying to Goliath, you're not about to see, because remember Goliath said, am I a dog that you come out here with staves and spears and you're just a little twerp of a boy and you come out here to fight me? And David is saying in essence to him, you're not going to see what a lad with a sling can do. You're about to see what a lad with God on his stones can do. And that's why you have those stones with the name of God on them. I hope you will keep them and just let it remind you that you can do incredible things. You can do the impossible things when you have a stone with God on it. The key to doing impossible things for God is standing in impossible situations is found in four things that are mentioned about David here. First of all, I want you to notice that David did the impossible in everyday life when nobody was watching. I'll repeat that. David did the impossible in everyday life when nobody was watching. Just look at this conversation here in the 17th chapter between David and Saul. Look at verse 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now there's some boldness right there. Remember David's just a young lad and this Philistine giant is a trained warrior, almost or over nine feet tall. And David says, I'll go and fight him. I'm not worried about it. I will go and fight him. And Saul says in verse 33, Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine. See, Saul was looking at things from a human standpoint. David's looking at things from a spiritual or godly standpoint. Thou art not able to go against the Philistine and fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And I can imagine the thinking of Saul, he will tear you up. 
He will destroy you, and once he destroys you, then we have to become the slaves of the Philistines, and I don't want that. And David, I really don't want you going out against this giant. But look at the verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Now I'm going to tell you this. If I was out keeping sheep... And a lion or a bear showed up, I'd say, sheep, you're on your own. I can't help you now. But David didn't. He said, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. David said, look, I've got experience with God. On a daily basis... When I'm out tending the sheep, when I'm out with the flocks, nobody's around, nobody's watching, it's just me and the sheep, and the bear and the lion came up. It wasn't just me and the sheep, it was me and the sheep and God. And God took care of the lion, and God took care of the bear, and therefore I'm not afraid of this Philistine. In everyday life, David depended upon God. Amen. Have you noticed how comfortable we as God's people today have gotten in everyday life by just handling it ourselves. Lord, I can handle the small things. If something big comes up, Lord, I'll give it to you. But I can take care of all of the small things. And so I'm not going to bother you with it. And then when something big comes along, what do we say? Oh, Lord, I need you now. And God says, you don't understand. You needed me all along. On the back of your bulletin is something that I wrote several years ago, and I'm not promoting this and saying I wrote it, but uh, I did. And you'll understand the, it wasn't written in the year that's referred to, but it was written a few years later. But I just got to thinking one day, and I wrote this thing called, And America Said. And America said, God, we don't want you in our schools. And God said, okay. And again, America said, God, we don't want you in our government, in our courtrooms, or in our public buildings. And God said, so be it. Once more, America said, God, we don't want you or your morals in our movies, on our televisions, or in any part of our daily lives. And God said, as you wish. Then on September 11th, 2001, America said, God, where are you? We need you. We want you to bless us. And God said, I did as you asked and left you alone. I'm right here where I've always been. Are you sure you want me now? See, we want to leave God behind until we think we really need him. Well, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I need God in everyday life. When was the last time you got out of bed in the morning and the first thing you said was, Lord, I don't want to do anything today except it be for you. I just want to serve you today. Lord, turn with me over to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. And look at what the Word of God says. And whatsoever, underline that word whatsoever if you don't mind writing in your Bibles. Just underline that word. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. How much are we to do in the name of the Lord? Everything. Whatsoever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Look down to verse 23. 
Verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, again there's whatsoever, underline it, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. It does not say do the big things in the name of the Lord. It doesn't say do the church things in the name of the Lord. It says do everything that you do in the name of the Lord. When was the last time, and I'm not just going to address this to the ladies, but to the men also, because every once in a while I clean house. When was the last time you cleaned house for the Lord? You just got up and said, the house needs clean. I'm going to clean it, and I'm going to do it to the glory of God. When was the last time you went to work? You went to your job, and you said, I'm going to do it for the glory of God. I'm going to do it for the Lord. How in the world did we as God's people get so comfortable just handling life for ourselves and saying, Lord, I'm going to keep you off to the side. Remember me talking about an article I wrote years ago called God Consciousness? Just being conscious of God in everyday living, in everyday situations. Dr. David Gibbs said this, and I like this. I put it on Facebook not long ago. If you want God in those Goliath moments in your life, you have to put God in the everyday moments of your life. And that's what David did. And when he went up against the Philistine, David was victorious. The scripture says, whatever our hands find to do, whatever our hands find to do, we are to do our best and we are to do it as if we are doing it for God. And listen, that will not happen by accident. We have to make a commitment to do it that way. I heard of one person who prayed this way. They were going in to hear a message from God's word. And maybe this is a good way for us to pray. But they prayed this way, God, please let the preacher reach us. We want to listen for you. I walked in here this morning. I think Sister Karen was at the piano. I can't remember, but it was just the two of us in here. But I walked in, and, and uh, as I started walking forward, I thought about asking this question. Are you here today to hear the preacher? Or are you here today to hear from God? And that's the difference coming to church will make if you get coming to church for the right reason to hear a message from the Word of God. I want to hear what God has to say. David put God in the everyday aspect of his life, the everyday events of his life. Number two, David got offended for God. David got offended for God. In fact, you look back to verses 22 through 26 and you look at what's going on. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel as he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? David got offended for God. There's a lot of folks willing to get offended today, not offended for God, offended for themselves, offended for some cause, but David got offended for God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? You know what David's saying? Who does he think he is? 
Who does this Goliath think he is? Because he saw the challenges of Goliath as an insult to God. When they came out for battle, what did the giant do? What did Goliath do? He cursed David by his gods. We need to remember that when the world attacks the people of God, when the world attacks the Lord's churches that are serving God, they are attacking God, folks. Whenever you hear the world use God's name in vain, they're attacking God. You need to get offended for God over that. You say, well, can't God get offended for him? Well, he does. But we as God's people need to get offended for God over that sort of thing. The degradation, the filth that we see in our world offends God. And we need to say, this offends my God and therefore it offends me. When's the last time you got offended for God? When you consider the sin and the perversion and the unrighteousness in this world, they're not just violating your ideals. They're not just violating your standards. They're not just violating the way you were raised. They are in opposition to God. And we need to get offended for God. Now listen, if you offend me, that's absolutely nothing. You know that? You offend me, I can get over that. But when you offend God, that is absolutely everything. Romans chapter 12 Verse 9 tells us to abhor that which is evil and to cling to that which is good or to cleave to that which is good. That word abhor, you know what it means? It means to utterly detest, to hate. You say, but we're not supposed to, we're supposed to hate evil. Listen, God hates sin. God loves sinners, but God hates sin. And the Word of God tells us we're to have the same attitude toward sin. Do you hate all evil? Why? Because it offends you or because it offends God? Boy, I can really get upset about some of the stuff that's going on. These churches going off into air and everything will get offended for God over it instead of just being offended for yourself. If you listen to the news outlets today, they want you to get offended, but they want you to get offended over what they're offended over, right? Well, we don't think this is right, so you ought to be offended. Hollywood wants us to join our cause and get offended over what Hollywood is offended over. And by the way, doesn't it amaze you that most of the same people who want to save the whales and save the elephants and save the tigers and save the dogs and the cats and these things are some of the very same people who don't mind murdering a baby by abortion? Amen. That offends God. It ought to offend us. One pastor had the courage to tell an elected official, and I hope this pastor, if it ever comes down to it, will have the same courage to tell an elected official, you are an offense to God. Are we willing to tell those who are disobedient to God and his word, look, God's against you. God is opposed to you and what you're doing in violating his word. Are you willing to be offended for God? David was offended for God. Thirdly, David would not be deterred by criticism or humiliation. Look at verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. First of all, there is the ridicule that you'll get from family for standing for God. The ridicule you'll get from family for being offended for God. 
Nobody can cut you like family can cut you. They know your buttons. They know which ones to push. And they know how to stir us up. But look how David responded in verse 29. He says, is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason? Isn't there something to stand for? Isn't there something to fight for? Let me ask you this. Is there something to stand for today? Amen. Thank you. At least a few agree with me. There's something to stand for. Stand on and for the word of God. Stand for the truth. Stand for the true way of salvation. You know, a lot of the world believes in salvation, but they don't believe in it the way the Bible says it. A lot of them say you've got to do works. You've got to be baptized. You've got to join a church. You've got to live this way. Some say, don't worry about it. God's not going to send anybody to hell. Just at the end, he'll send everybody to heaven. They don't know the word of God. Amen. And they are wrong with God. There's only one way to be saved. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Is there a cause today? And then there was ridicule from King Saul. Listen to verse 33. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. He's saying to David, You're no contest for Goliath. You're absolutely no contest. You're too small. You're too young. You're too inexperienced. And so just sort of give it up. Some of the greatest witnesses that there can be, I believe, in the Lord's churches are people who have just come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. They have just experienced the grace of God in their lives. They have gone from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. They have gone from being on the road to hell to being on the road for heaven. And they can be great witnesses for the Lord. But you and I can be also who have been saved for several years can be that way also. And listen, I would rather have 10 people who are saved and on fire for the Lord than to pastor a thousand people who were satisfied and just sitting in the pew doing nothing. That's the way to have a great church, have folks that are on fire for the Lord. Have you ever done the best you could do and have someone say to you, well, that was terrible. <laughs> that wasn't any good. Somebody is going to try to detour you and detour me as a child of God. Somebody is going to try to get us off track. They're going to try to use criticism. They're going to try to use humiliation to get us to quit serving God, to silence us, and that is what the world is doing today. But the Word of God says that we are to be encouragers. We are to be edifiers. We just read this morning in the Sunday school class that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but encouraging one another or exhorting one another. We're to come together and we're to meet the culture we get to the coming of Christ, we're to be more concerned about meeting together to encourage one another because, and the reason God said that, by the way, I believe, by the way, who wrote the book of Hebrews? I like what one preacher said, the Holy Spirit wrote it. Amen. We don't know who the human author was, but the Holy Spirit wrote it. And so God said one of the reasons we need to be, and knew that one of the reasons that we need to be is that the closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more and more difficult it is going to be to stand for Christ without the encouragement that we receive from one another. There are discouragers out there. There are people that will put us down out there. And too often, the critics don't have to say anything. Just the fact that we know that they are there stops us. Well, I'm in a group of people and I don't want to say anything because somebody in this group might not agree with me, might not be saved, might not want to hear what I have to say. So I'll just be quiet, right? 
Oh, that's the way we do. I've been there. I've done that. And especially with social media. I am not ashamed and I'm not afraid to post things like I posted yesterday. And by the way, if you didn't see it, I'll tell you this. And I was listening to this preacher and I thought he had a really good quote and said this. If you claim to have a relationship with Jesus and that relationship has not changed you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Amen. If you claim to be saved, but you're the same old person that you were after you claimed to be saved, that you were before you were saved, you're not saved. That's what he was saying. Coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior will change you. You'll have a different priority. You'll have a different set of values. But for fear of what might come up. If we really took a stand, you know what happens? We just close our mouths. When we ought to be saying this is an affront to the Lord God himself. I don't know why we're afraid. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. That's timidity. That's moral cowardice. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, dynamic ability, and of love, a self-sacrificing love, and of a sound mind, okay? That's what God gives. So where does fear come from? It comes from the devil acting upon that fear that is in us as well. So David would not be detoured by criticism, and he would not be detoured by humiliation. And then, number four is this, and then we'll be done. You have to give glory to God. You have to give glory to God. Look at what David said to Goliath in verse 47, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You know what David's saying to Goliath? Hey, Goliath, I'm not doing this. God's doing this. I'm not going to beat you. God's going to beat you. God's going to take you down. And when he does, I'll cut your head off and then we'll defeat the Philistines. And you notice David goes out in full confidence of victory. In verse 48, it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. Look at this. That David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. You get the picture? Here's this nine foot plus tall giant coming toward David. He's got all of his armor on. He's got his shield carrier out in front of him. He's wearing his brass. He's got his sword and he's got his spear and he's just lumbering toward David. Now I know what Jim would do. Feet do your duty. <laughs> I'm going to go in the opposite direction. But no, what does David do? He, hastened, he ran toward Goliath. He didn't back up from a fight. He didn't back down from a fight. David said, I'm going to the fight. And you look at verse 49 here. Goliath was not felled by a boy with a sling. Goliath was felled by a stone that had God written all over it. Look, verse 49, And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. And then it says, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Now, if you keep reading, I want you to see what David's boldness and David's faith in God did. Because if you keep reading this, 
It says, Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath. Therefore, I can see David with this Goliath sword, you know, this huge sword that Goliath had, and David, a young man, just trying to use it, and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Look at this. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou comest to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sharim, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. I can just sort of envision this. David stands upon Goliath, chops off his head, the Philistines start to run, and all those Israelites who I sort of envision World War II type trenches, and all those Israelites who've been hiding behind the rocks and in the trenches look just like fire ants coming out of a fire ant mound when you kick it or step on top of it. I mean, just swarming out after these Philistines and chased them and killed many, many Philistines. You know what's so? We need a few people to begin with. Maybe not a whole church full but a few people to begin with that'll have God on their stones and that'll be bold and that'll go forward and enthusiasm just like discouragement is contagious and you get a few folks enthusiastic for the Lord, you get a lot more folks enthusiastic for the Lord. And then this, how often do we give God the glory for our victories in lives without wanting a little bit of the credit for ourselves? Now I'm gonna tell you it's difficult. It's difficult for preachers. You know, sometimes it's real tempting if you preached a message that you felt went well to sort of think, boy, I did a good job. I'm going to preach that again somewhere. That went so well. I did a good job on it. Well, it better not be you preaching it, preacher. It better be God preaching that message. What about when you served God in some other great way, sung a song, a solo or special, and it was beautiful, and people, you know, that's great, enjoyed it. You did a wonderful job on that sort of thing. Well, I... Sort of did, didn't I? You know, I'm sort of proud of me for that. Or maybe given a devotional, you brought a lesson, you start thinking, yeah, I got it. No, give God the glory. Give God the credit for that. Because human pride is what wants to say, I did a good job. But if we're doing it for the Lord, He is doing it in us and through us. Now listen, God's going to share heaven with us. And God has shared His Son with us. But God is not going to share his glory with us. Listen to Isaiah 48, 11, The last part of that verse, God said, I will not give my glory to another. We serve God and God blesses us. You know, I appreciate when people go out and they shake my hand and say, good message. I, I appreciate that. You know, the, the flesh eats that up. But give God the glory. If you thought the message was good, praise God. Apply it in your life and accept it as a message from the word of God. Because we're living in a time when God's people need to boldly take a stand for the Lord. Folks, we've been silent way too long. We've sat back, you know, I mentioned in that article, 9-11. And boy, 9-11 came and for about two weeks, people were going back to church and people were flying their flags and people were thinking about God. And after about two weeks, there weren't any other attacks. People just said, well, you know, life's going to go on as usual. COVID came along, what people were asking, is this, is, is this it? Is, is Jesus coming back? Is this the end time? Is, could the Lord come back? Is this some of the signs of revelation? We've gotten through most of that and go right back to the way we were. You know, it's just life as usual. 
The world wants to put their God up against our God, folks. We need to understand that. We need to get that, and we need to show the world what our God can do. Amen. But if we're just going to give it our best shot, we're not doing any more than a lost person can do. A lost person can give it their best shot. We need to remember, I think we need to remember, first of all, 2 Timothy 1, 7, God hadn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. But we need to remember that we have the strength of the Lord God Almighty working in us and working through us individually and as a church. Can you imagine what a church full of people with God on their stones going up against this world could do? We're not talking about a physical fight. It's much deeper than that. It's much bigger than that. For we war not, the Apostle Paul said, against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, invisible powers in this world today. I hope when you go out from here today, two things. You keep your rock with you. And if you notice all the singing was about the rock, I'm standing on the rock. Rock of ages, okay? Keep your rock with you and keep God on your stones.